is so good uh, to be with you. Hey, can we do something right now? We haven't been able to do this in the other services, but can we just take a moment and celebrate what God is doing in South Africa? Will you just do that with me? I mean, seriously, this is amazing. I don't know if you caught it. What started as 20 little groups is now two over t- uh, close to 300. And, and what these 20 church planners have now grown into multiple, more than that, church planners all over the region of South Africa. And it's because of your regular generosity. So grateful uh, for how you regularly give. So keep it up. And thank you, thank you, thank you so much. Uh, for those of you that are new with us, I mean, that's our heart. This is who we are. We're a church that's all about Jesus. And, and uh, we, we want to be a community around you to help encourage you to follow Jesus. And just a reminder to what I said earlier, we have a gift for you. And so please take that Connect card uh, that's located in the seat back at the front of you. Fill it out and take it back to the welcome table. We'd love to give you a gift for being with us today. And, so, and, and for those online, we're so grateful to share this moment with you. So hey, Westside, let's thank all of those online and let everyone know in the room that's new with us how grateful we are to share this moment with them. Will you do that? Yeah. Today we do begin a brand new series that is exactly what that video said, counterculture, and we're asking the question, what does it look like to follow Jesus in a cancel culture? And over the last few years, maybe you've learned this new term, cancel culture, you've seen this emerge, you've heard it in different areas, you've heard it used and abused, you've heard it all over the, all over the spectrum. And maybe you don't know what it is, but you know that it is. Does that make sense? And so in this, we, we've seen the effects of this. We've seen the effects of this and how it's affected jobs. We've seen the effects of this and how it's affected kids in school and and not only that, but how it's affected relationships. We've seen this, how it's affected how people respond to each other on social media. And we've seen this be used um, in, in, in really some good ways, but also not so very healthy in good ways. And maybe this has impacted you. Maybe this has impacted you on a personal level, or maybe it's impacted someone close to you. Now, I want to reassure you that this is not new, okay? So just take a deep breath. This cancel culture is not new. This has been around since humanity has been uh, involved in this earth. This has been around since the beginning of time. And if you don't understand, like, let me just explain this. Because what I know is all through Scripture, we see something. We see this, this narrative that Scripture shows us. And for those of you that, that you're not a Christ follower or you, you maybe don't know what's going on when I say this, but we believe that Scripture shows us uh, who God is and, and gives us a narrative of why God created humanity, what this really the struggle is all about. And through this narrative, we believe this because of the resurrection of Jesus. We believe that Jesus died and he rose again. And because he rose again, everything he talks about that he references in scripture, we believe to be true. This is why we trust the Old Testament. This is why we believe in the New Testament and their authors, because they saw a resurrected Jesus. And we see through this narrative of scripture that all humanity, that, that, that Satan has, 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 is God's enemy and he has been on a mission to pin humanity against each other, to cancel out humanity because God created humanity in his image. And Satan would love for everything, everything in the image of God to be destroyed. Because God created us in his image, and that image was for every one of us. He desired for each of us to be like Jesus, and Satan wants to eliminate that image of God in all of us. And so people have been against each other and try to cancel each other. And we see this in Scripture. It's all through the narrative of Scripture. And people even try to cancel Jesus out. And they did. 
for three days. And only three days. Because on that third day, he came back to life, proving that he was resurrection and life and that he was God. And so I want you to rest assured that there is nothing new in this culture that we live in. And this is not new. And Jesus is still alive. And now that they're in this cancer culture that we really don't even know what it is, we just know that it is. I, in this, this, there's so many different definitions that identify what a cancel culture is. So I just wanted to create my own definition in this. So please don't cancel me out if you don't like this definition. But here's my definition of what cancel culture is. This is a cancel culture. Cancel culture is when more than one person is offended by an opposing action or view and then leverages that to destroy what the opposing person can say and do. That's what a cancel culture is. It's when more than one person, when, when there's a group of people or, 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 or several people, and what they want, they are offended by an opposing action or belief or view, and then they leverage that to destroy what that person who has that opposing view, belief, or opinion or action against them or against someone else, they, they oppose it, and they leverage that to oppose everything and destroy what that person could say or do. See, when someone carries an offense... When someone carries an offense because some of what someone says or does, and when someone's, someone gets offended because by someone else's actions, beliefs, or viewpoint, and then they, what they do is they then escalate the consequences to come against that person. And it's a culture that is prevalent. It's been around since the beginning of time. And I'll say this respectfully. It's a culture that's filled with vengeance but no grace. It's a culture that is filled with disdain without a true desire to truly understand. It's a culture that clashes with your view. And sometimes it's when your view clashes with an opposing view. It's this culture that comes from this, really this sinful, selfish humanity that wants my way to be the right way. And if it's not my way and it's against your way, then I'm going to be against that way. See, when your worldview doesn't line up with the worldview around you, what do we do? And when we follow Jesus, how do we follow Jesus in this world that really has a different worldview than us? That the cultural worldview of the world around us doesn't line up with the worldview that Jesus has and how Jesus views the world and how we view the world through Jesus, through what he's done through what he teaches and through what scripture leads us to believe and do. See, in this, when our views clash with the world around us, when our views because of what Jesus is and how he views the world clashes with the world around us, when your views and our views and really conflicting and controversial issues like abortion clash, when, when uh, those views of identity and, or, or even of sexuality or racism or poverty or even, um, or even se- uh, 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 refugees, when it clashes with the worldview around us, what do we do when that view is in conflict with the worldview around you? And how do we see this? How do we follow Jesus? And the teachings of Jesus, we need to realize that the teachings of Jesus, this isn't new, because the teachings of Jesus lead us to understand that in his teachings, they flew in the face of those who wanted to do exactly what our world wants to do. Live however you want. 
have this view that's personal to you, and, and you live however you want. And see, it's much like our culture today. It's no different than Jesus' culture, teachings, and like Jesus would teach, like what Luke, this first century, first century um, historian, would record in Luke chapter 9, where Jesus boldly addresses what could be a cancel culture. And then he boldly preaches against a culture of you do you or you be you and individualism and secularism. And this is what he says. The son of man, which is a title that he claimed for himself. He said the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. He was telling his disciples, they're going to cancel me. They're going to reject me. The chief priests and teachers of the law. And look, and he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. And then he said to them all, all those there. And because of Luke, these are words that we embrace and we follow. And we believe. Because he came back to life to prove that these words are true. And he looked at his disciples there. And he would say, whoever wants. And this is the key, whoever wants. And so if you're here today and you want to be a disciple of Jesus, whoever wants to be Jesus' disciple, these words for, for you. If you're here just investigating this and you don't want to be Jesus' di- disciple, I, I want to give you a, just a free pass that you don't have to be obligated to this right here. But for those of us that want to be Jesus' disciples, we need to listen to this. We need to lean into this. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. I come back to this verse quite a bit because this is the key to following Jesus. That you cannot follow Jesus and not deny yourself. You cannot follow Jesus without daily dying to yourself. Because that's how Jesus invites us to follow him. And then he looks at his disciples and and, and then he goes, for whoever wants to save their life. See, this is the key. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their very self? And in this text, that word that we see as life and that word that we see as self is the same word in the Greek language that we also interpret as soul. Whoever wants to save their soul, Whoever wants to to, to save their soul has to give up, has to lose it. And if you don't lose your life for me, you'll never find it, Jesus says. I mean, talk about a message that is counter culture. Talk about a message that is counter every one of our ways of life. See, not a very popular message that says in a world That says live for yourself. Not a very popular message in in the worldview of Jesus' day that was so about how you be, you you live however you want. And it's not a popular message in our day. See, this is much like the culture of Jesus' day is much like the culture of our day today. With this Greek influence, the philosophies of this world, there is no absolute truth that's true, whatever's true to you. That's true. And Jesus comes in and disrupts the whole thing. And his resurrection is the proof that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And see, in our day and age, where much of our worldview is live for yourself, whatever makes you happy, be independent from others, 
get whatever you want and do whatever pleases you, acquire all of the things that you want, uh, live however you want, as long as you're happy, this is all that really matters. After all, you need to be true to yourself. And one of my favorite ones is you do you. You do you. You know, this is the permission that you have in a worldview that is not led in, in, in a worldview that is, is, is like our worldview. It's a you do you, but that's not what Jesus taught. See, Jesus did not teach you do you. Jesus taught you do like me. If you want life, you do like me to have true life. See, you do you. Jesus would say that's not the way to life. Deny yourself. Die to yourself. And then come, follow me. Then there's life in that. There's no other way to life. See, Jesus taught that we can only find life when we daily deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and follow him. There's no other way to being truly satisfied in life. There's no other way to being fulfilled in life. There is no other way than, other than Jesus' way. Because any other way to, to find fulfillment in life, any other way to be happy in life, any other way to find life and true life other than Jesus' way is in opposition to God. And we, you do you, is in direct opposition to God. Do like me, follow me as Jesus would say, is Jesus' way. And through his resurrection, he would prove that he is the only way, the only truth. And he is life. And this is what Jesus would say to his immediate disciples to, to do this. And, and this is not a very heartwarming thing. I mean, this is a very sober thing. And he tells them that in this, if you follow me, people will be against you. And this is what he would say. You will be betrayed. Later in Luke, chapter 21, he records, Luke records these words of Jesus. You will be betrayed. You will be betrayed. And by those closest to you, by your parents, by your brothers and sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. And they did. Because of what they believed that Jesus had. They believed Jesus was life. And they put them to death because their way of life was so different. And then Jesus would say, everyone will hate you because of me. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your heads with Paris. And this would be a promise because in this, our bodies may, will die. And in this, but, but in eternity, we have life forever. And then Jesus says something. Now, I want you to hear this. And I say this with a, a, just humility and courage. And, and, and this is where we need to lean in. He says, stand firm. I mean, he knew what his disciples were going to go through. He knew what you and I are going to go through. And Jesus says, stand firm and you will win life. Stand firm. Stand firm and you will win. When everyone is against you, when everyone is opposed to you, when they even betray you, you stand firm and you will win life life. I mean, if you're honest with yourself, isn't that what you want? I mean, isn't that what you want? 
You want life. Isn't that what you want, not just for you, you want that for all those that you love. You want them to experience life. Isn't this what you want for even, deep in your heart, even, isn't this what you want for those that are even opposed to you? You want them to have life. Stand firm, and you will win life. It's, why, it's what everybody wants. This is why the worldviews of all the worldviews around us sound so appealing. Because those philosophies, those ways of thinking, and those worldviews, they promise a way to life. And a promise a way that's better and better for those others. And they think, this is life. And this is the best thing for you. This is how you're going to be happy. This is how we're going to make the world happy. And, and, and th- this, is what, this is why they will say, you do you. Live your best life. Because if you do you, but I tell you this, if you do you, in this culture, nobody's going to hate you. But if you do like Jesus, if you deny yourself daily, die to yourself and follow him, there may be times that people are opposed to you, reject you, even go to the extent to betray you. Because people may hate you because his ways are counter culture so we stand firm following jesus even when we are rejected for doing so this is how we win life now this is not what the disciples thought would happen by the way this is not i mean maybe you're thinking and you're just like what this is this is the way the disciples felt what because you know what the disciples thought the disciples thought they were going to fight to overthrow the government the disciples were ready with sword in hand they knew they were ready to go with jesus to storm and to take over this is what they thought they thought this was all about a government overturn they were coming to conquer the romans and jesus was going to lead the way and that power jesus had would now be distributed to them but jesus would say no that's not what i came to do And Jesus would say, no, that's not my way. And he would lead them. And he would show them and he'd model that those with power, we deny ourselves. We die to ourselves. Follow me. This is what is true life. See, when you come to the end of yourself, Jesus promises that when you come to the end of yourself and you follow him, you find life. When you die to yourself, Jesus would say, then you are even able to stand up and die for me. Now, I need to say something here that has, it's, it's something for just us Christ followers. And I say, it's not in your notes. And I say this respectfully. I say this with humility and a whole lot of courage. Church, we need to hold our faith and we need to lose our offense. And I say this respectfully. We need to keep our faith and we need to stop being offended when people and Others don't share the same views as us. Jesus told us it's going to happen. Why do we get offended when it does? We need to keep our faith and stand firm and stop stop being offended when our freedoms are tested. 
We need to stop being offended when this culture comes against even the church. It feels like it's against the church or even against us as Christ. You know what? Jesus said it's going to happen. Why are we offended? Why do we hold on to this offense? Why do we try to fight in, 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 in wrong ways? See, we need to not be offended. We need to let go of that offense. And when we lose ourselves, when we lose ourselves by dying to ourselves, denying ourselves daily, and following Him, then then we're going to come to the end of ourselves. And then we're not going to worry about the opinions of others because we're going to be dead to them. We need to hold our faith, stand firm. But we need to lose our offense. See, Jesus didn't encourage His disciples to fight for their own rights, but to stand firm. And to stand up when things were not right. And this is exactly what the disciples did. They stood firm in their faith. See, it was not about being right. It was about, they said, we're gonna, we gave up our right. But you know what they did do? They stood up for the rights of others when things were not right. And they did this. The first century disciples would stand up for the rights of others. They stood firm in their faith and they stood up not for their own rights, but for the rights of others. And in that first century world, they would stand up for the orphans. And in this this day and age where the Greek philosophy was so prevalent and it was all about you and you do whatever makes you happy. And this hedonism was taken over and it is really about your selfish pleasures. In this world, babies were seen as a burden and a nuisance. And as soon as a child was born, they would put the baby on the street. Hundreds of them. But it was the first century church that would rescue them, bring them into their home and nurture them and care for them because they saw what Jesus saw. They saw life. It was this first century church that, that would stand up for the oppressed, those who were leveraging their power to, to remove the rights for others, and they had no rights. The church would be the ones who would go to their rescue, to, to would rescue the poor. They would rescue those who were shamed and abused, and they would come to their rescue. They would step in for them. It was a first century church who would look at the medically wounded and the hurting and where society would outcast them, they would bring them in. They would pray for the persecuted. See, they didn't really fight for the persecuted, but they would stand firm in their faith and they would pray. They would pray for the persecuted and they would pray for the persecutors. They would bless them. They would stand firm. Because they win life. See, we win life when we stand firm. When our trust is in Jesus, we receive life as we follow him. This was a radical shift of thinking. This was a radical shift of thinking that changed the world. Because that's exactly what Jesus came to do. To change our world. To change our world by changing our thinking about who God is and what life is. See, Jesus countered the culture beliefs of who God was and how to have life, and he led people to change their minds and follow him. See, this is repentance. Repentance is a change of mind that leads to a change of behavior, and Jesus would constantly invite people to repent and follow him, to repent and believe in the kingdom of God, to repent and follow his way of life. Change your mind about who God is. Change your mind and find life in Jesus as you follow 
him. And Jesus would show us God's, the full nature of God. Colossians 2 tells us that the full nature of God was embodied with Jesus. So through Jesus' life, through Jesus' death and his resurrection, God displays his ultimate power over death. He displays his justice on sin. He displays his mercy on all of us who are sinners. And he displays his indisputable love for the entire world. This is what Jesus shows you and I. And this is how we see the world. This is how we need to see ourselves. And the apostles would lead the church to do the same thing, to change their view of God and then change their thinking and change how they've lived away that follows him. And this is what the Apostle Paul would write to the church in Rome. He would say this, Therefore, I urge you, I urge you, brothers and sisters, so those of you that are part of Christ's family, those of you that have responded to the gospel of Jesus, I urge you, he says, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's mercy, in view of God's love for you, in view of God's love for the world, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, That means set apart, unlike anything else, and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do you hear the words of Jesus? Deny yourself. Die to yourself daily. Follow me. Present your body as a living sacrifice, holy, set apart, so different than everything else. And then he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Change the way you think. Don't conform. Change the way you think. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You want to know how to follow Jesus in this world? Deny yourself, die to yourself, and daily follow him and being renewed by the transforming of your life. And he's going to lead you. And then you'll know what his good and pleasing and perfect will is. See, in view of God's mercy on you, don't conform to the pattern. Be transformed. And the way we do this, we first change our thinking, we renew our mind to be transformed, and then secondly, we, be, we change our behavior. We deny ourselves, die to ourselves, and we follow Jesus. There in lies life. And it's counter what the culture says, but it's what Jesus and these first century apostles show us is the way to follow him. So in this series, this is what we're going to be looking at. Jesus and Scripture direct Christ followers to live counter the culture, not conform to it. This is our series' big idea, that Jesus and Scripture direct Christ followers to live counter the culture and not follow and not conform to it. That Jesus and Scripture alone will direct our beliefs and our behaviors. And the reason is, is because Jesus came back to life to prove that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we're going to stand firm in who Jesus is. And we're going to stand firm in who God is. And we're going to stand firm. And, and, and we're going to stand firm and, instead of fighting against. And we're going to stand firm not conforming to the patterns of this world. And we're going to stand firm and being transformed by how we think. By changing how our view is of how God sees us. By changing our view of how God sees the world. And this is where it begins. See, we see humanity in view of God's mercy. Because this humanity was so broken that Jesus interrupted our brokenness and came here to restore broken people into a relationship with God. See, as Christ followers, we think differently about ourselves. We see ourselves differently. We see our identity totally different because we see humanity. We see all of humanity in view of God's mercy. All of humanity is born broken. 
And to live counterculture is to think and live in opposition, or as the dictionary says, in variance with the prevailing social norm. Why? Because we live in view of God's mercy on us. And we live in view of God's mercy on even those that are opposed to us. See, culture says your identity is in how you see you. And you're enough as you are, but that's not what Jesus shows us. Jesus, in view of God's mercy, we realize we are born broken in our selfish sin. And without him, we are broken. And this is why Jesus lived and he died, so we could be born again. Culture says that our identity is in what we feel and what we want to do. This is our identity. But Jesus says, no, and in view of God's mercy, we are what Jesus has done for us. We're not what we've done to us or what's happened to us. That's not who, who we are. We are what Jesus has done for us, and that determines who we are. See, I want you to understand, we need to live in view of God's mercy on you. And because of this, you don't live for your salvation. You live from your salvation. We live from our salvation. In a world that says you don't need God and you can choose whatever way to life you want. See, in view of God's mercy, we realize that our selfishness is the reason that we do not have peace with God. And so Jesus came and he died to establish that we can have peace with God. And now we can live in peace with others, even though others may not be at peace with us. This is the gospel this is what the cross and the resurrection of Jesus show us. That, see, without faith in Jesus, no one is good enough for us. But in our salvation, see, because of who we are in Jesus, be what he's done for us, we don't live for God's view. He's already shown it to us. But you know what we do? We live from God's view of us. You don't have to live to earn God's favor or earn his salvation. But because you've received everything because of what Jesus has done for you, and you trust in that, you can live counterculture. You can begin to think counterculture, that you are salt and light. And the reason you are salt and light is because you are living from the salvation that you have already been given in Christ Jesus. This is why Paul would say to the church in Ephesus, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. He would say this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. He said, live a life worthy of the salvation that you have, a calling to become like Jesus. And when you live a life from your salvation, not for your salvation, you live differently. You think differently. And this is how Paul would say that. So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do. You must live counterculture. Don't live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Change your thinking. And, and when you change your thinking about who you are, you're going to change your thinking about your identity. And you're going to live differently because you're going to live from your salvation. And you're not living for your salvation. You're not living in, in the futility of the secular culture that has a broken understanding, a darkened understanding that's not illuminated by the truth and the light of Jesus. See, people who live and think like secular culture are separated from the life of God and are ignorant of the hardness of their hearts. And in this Greek world, this day and age with its reasoning, the philosophies, and all these different ways of life, these were all the result of people being separated from God's light. And separated from the wisdom that is found only in Jesus. And it's no different than our day and age today where they're saying there is life in any other way. And there's life in every other philosophy. And you don't need Jesus. But we know that's not the way of light and life. See, a, 
This is, this is what God has done through us in Jesus. And we know the way, the truth, and the life that is in Jesus. And this is what Paul says. He goes, those that, that live according to the, the world and the culture around them, that live according to those philosophies and those worldviews, having, lo- having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. See, when God's not in you, you become desensitized to the world around you. When God's not in you, you become desensitized, and, and you don't see culture in opposition of God. Now, you may feel that God's in opposition to you. And Paul says something happens when we become desensitized. He said, when people lose sensitivity, they lose self-control. And I can't think of a better way to describe the culture around us. It's a culture without self-control. See, when what used to bother, and this is even in the church. See, what used to bother us in the church doesn't bother us anymore. And when bothered used to bother culture, doesn't bother culture anymore. And when, you, when what used to bother you doesn't bother you anymore, you stop saying no to that. You lose self-control. And losing sensitivity to the things of culture that are against God's nature leads us to be influenced and conform to culture, not counter the culture. Paul goes on, that is not, however, the way of life you learned. See how he's challenging their thinking? When you heard about, the, about Christ and were taught in him, according with the truth that is in Jesus. See, the source of what they learned was the truth that is in Jesus. He is truth. And he is where truth begins and ends. And we must begin with scripture to find Jesus. And we find Jesus, we find truth. Any other thinking is futile. And seeing your identity any other way, seeing who you are through any other filter of truth other than Jesus is pointless It's destructive, and it's not life. And Paul goes on to say, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, to put it off. See, because of who you are in Jesus, you have an old self now. And that old self was corrupted by its deceitful desires. And you know this is present? He says, which is being corrupted. It's continually trying to rise up, and we need to daily deny ourselves, die to ourselves. And follow. Take off all that old life, corrupted by the sinful selfishness and desires that we have. And then he says, be made new in the attitude of our minds. We need to change our thinking. So we're going we're gonna to change our thinking. We're going to put on a new attitude about how we see ourselves. We're going to have a new attitude of how we see the world. Because of what Jesus has done for us. We're going to live from this. We're going to see ourselves and we're going to see the world differently. And, and in that moment, we're going to take off our old self and we're going to, Paul says, we're going to simultaneously put on our new self. We're going to take off our brokenness and put on our new self. And this is what he said, and put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is who you are in Jesus. You were created. Every person that was born was born with the potential, with God's image. And God wants to restore that image in them. This is how we see ourselves. And this is how we see the world. And this is the gospel of Jesus. Jesus came and he lived in the perfect life that you can't live. So you can put on his righteousness. You are not your past. You are what Jesus has done for you when your trust is in him as your savior and you follow him as your Lord. And Paul goes back to the basic gospel of the truth in Jesus, that you are made new, that you are made new, not by what you say and do, but because you are now made, you, made new through Jesus, you now 
Change the way you think. Change the what you say. And you change what you do. Because in Christ, something new has happened and, and, and that's happened in you. And that change as, changes everything around you. See, in Christ, this is the teaching big idea I want to leave you with and challenge you. In Christ, when you're in Christ, you're made new. And his truth determines how you think, what you say, and what you do. In Christ, I'm made new. And it's his truth that determines what I think, what I say, and what I do. So in view of God's mercy on you, Live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Change your thinking. Change what you say. And change how you live. And see, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to follow Jesus and his truth? And not for the church to find their identity in other things, but to find their identity in becoming like him. See, this is what I want to do. That I will follow Jesus and his truth. And I find my identity in becoming like Jesus. That this is what I, what would it look like for the church to see the world through the broken filter that is the world. And his love for them. And when people oppose you, they're not opposing you. They're opposing the giver of life that wants to love them and give life to them. So don't offend them by your approach. Let's be the truth. Let's be salt. Let's be light. Let's do what Paul says to say that give our answers with gentleness and love. Let's flavor our words with salt. Because he's life. See, we will follow Jesus in his truth. Finding life in him. Our identity is in becoming like him. And that new identity in Christ leads us to do what is right and just. And true righteousness, Paul would say, and holiness. See, we put on Christ's righteousness because Peter would say, this is clothe yourself in his righteousness. We clothe, we are his work. We are not our works. But because we put on his righteousness, it now leads us to live in the right way. And when you live in the right way, you do what's right, you'll do what is just. And that is set apart from the world around us. That's the life of holiness, to live like Jesus. This is the life God created you to live. And so I want to invite you today to do one of two things as we leave today. Is Do you need to, one, change your thinking? Or two, is there... A behavior you need to change do you need to change your thinking or do you need to change a behavior and in view of God's mercy on you how does it shape what you think what you say and what we do what would it look like for the church to rise up for a remnant of the church to rise up and do this again I believe it would change the world in the people's hearts in this world. Father, we come to you and I come to you in mercy, in humility, in view of your mercy on us. God, we need you. We need the strength to stand firm. We need the strength 
to do what you've called us to do. And I pray right now that there are people that need to change a way of thinking. They need to change a way of living. And I pray that you lead us to do that. May we see ourselves in light of what Jesus has done. And may we see the world in light of what Jesus has done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our prayer partners are available. They'd love to pray for anybody and for any reason. And don't forget to step back there and grab a tag to really show Jesus to the foster kids in our community. You can also do that on your app just as a reminder. God bless you, Westside.